and welcome to Jiu-Jitsu Red to Blue. I'm Tish Durkin, and this week, for a refreshing change of pace, it's not MAGA, nor any other form of Republican at whom I'm spitting fire. It is my fellow Democrats, who, if they do not stop wringing their hands, gnashing their teeth, pulling out their hair, and wetting their pants over whether Joe Biden can win in 2024, are going to guarantee that he loses. This attitude has been driving me insane ever since the midterms, which, of course, constituted the best showing for the party in the White House since FDR, and therefore strike me as a strong argument for sticking with the guy in the White House, not for kicking him to the curb. What has got me burning today is a piece that has the political class buzzing. A column by Washington Post writer David Ignatius entitled, President Biden Should Not Run Again in 2024. Here I don't mean to attack Ignatius, who is a journalist and for all I know may not even be a registered Democrat. But he evinces an attitude that is all too common among those who supposedly are Democrats. That attitude is, don't get me wrong, I admire Biden, and yes, he's had some real triumphs in policy, foreign and domestic, and yes, he was totally underestimated in 2020, and yes, 98% of what the Republicans are throwing at him about his being corrupt and inept and demented are totally made up and highly likely to backfire on them with anyone who is not definitely voting for them already. So all things considered, Biden ought to quit, or at least get rid of Kamala. Ignatius writes that he's been having some version of this conversation for months now with Democrats all over the country. I believe him because I've been having those conversations too. But my reaction is completely different. Where Ignatius wants to shake some sense into Biden by way of making him bow out, I want to shake some sense into those grousing about Biden by way of making them grow up. It astounds me that anyone would characterize the act of a successful president standing down and or dumping his vice president as an act of political prudence, when, if you take five minutes to stroll through the last 60 years in presidential politics, you will see that it is much more likely to be an act of political surrender. Let's take those five minutes, shall we? For starters, the power of presidential incumbency is not something that is kind of, sort of nice for a candidate to have. It's the number one predictor of success in a presidential contest. Since the death of Franklin Delano Roosevelt in 1945, 12 presidents have sought to be returned to the White House. Three have lost, including one, Gerald Ford, who had never been elected outside his congressional district, and one, George H.W. Bush, who had stepped up to the presidency after eight years as Ronald Reagan's vice president and thus was, in seeking his second term, seeking a fourth straight term for the GOP, which would have been a heavy lift even without the third-party factor of Ross Perot. Truman, Eisenhower, Johnson, Nixon, Reagan, Clinton, George W. Bush, and Obama all got reelected. Oh, you might be tempted to say, today we're talking about Biden, who stutters and shuffles and says malarkey. We're not talking about Barack Obama, who was so cool and so charismatic, or Bill Clinton, who had such sky-high popularity he could have coasted to a third term even after impeachment, or Ronald Reagan, Mr. Morning in America himself. Nonsense. Revisionist, rearview mirror, ridiculous nonsense. Each and every one of those presidents got reelected against what, at various points, appeared to be very steep, if not impossible, odds. A smattering of examples in no particular order. As if to prove that no good deed goes unpunished, 
Obama passed the health care reform for which Democrats had spent decades agitating and, as thanks, received a total midterm wipeout in 2010. Likewise, Bill Clinton balanced the federal budget and then had a disastrous first-term midterm. And although Clinton's approval ratings at a similar point in his presidency were much higher than Biden's are now, his political situation did have something important in common with Biden's. The public's view of him was very largely a function of their view of the Republicans opposing him. The more the GOP leaned into Newt Gingrich and his anti-government flamethrowers, and later, the more the GOP leaned into all things Monica Lewinsky, the more everybody else sided with Clinton. Unless the GOP is about to undergo some sort of MAGA to moderate conversion along the lines of Saul becoming Paul on the road to Damascus, the same is very likely to continue to be true of Biden vis-a-vis Trump or Trumpism. Moving on to President George W. Bush, he came to the White House without winning the popular vote and in the view of many Americans, not legitimately winning the Electoral College either. Four years later, the biggest issue on voters' minds, the stuff of mass protest and blaring negative headlines and huge cost in U.S. blood and treasure, was a war on terror that had become savagely unpopular on many levels. If, on the day that the American public learned of the unspeakable torture carried out by American soldiers at Abu Ghraib in Iraq, political experts had been polled as to how the already struggling president would fare in an election less than eight months later, very few respondents would have said, oh, this time around, he'll win the Electoral College and the popular vote. But he did. Instantly and permanently buried in the landslide 1984 re-election of Ronald Reagan is the memory that for much of the third year of his presidency, his approval rating wallowed in the 30s and mid-40s, before he went on to win 49 states. And of course, Harry Truman was such a shoe-in for victory in 1948 that we've all seen the photo taken the morning after that election, when a grinning give-em-hell Harry brandished a newspaper with a page-one banner headline proclaiming, Dewey beats Truman, which, you know, he hadn't. Meanwhile, there are a couple of examples of Democrats taking a cold, hard look at political regality and deciding, one way or the other, that their incumbent president should not be automatically handed the nomination. In 1968, widely reviled due to the Vietnam War, Lyndon Johnson did what some are hoping Biden will do and decided not to run. By the time he announced that decision, the dream of today's Biden-doubting Democrats had begun to come true. An open, spirited Democratic primary was already underway. It featured one fascinating and captivating figure, the anti-war philosopher dreamboat Senator Eugene McCarthy, whom the young people in particular just loved. Soon thereafter, Senator Robert Kennedy, whom young voters, among many others, positively worshipped, also joined. Kennedy, of course, was assassinated and McCarthy flamed out. Democrats ended up nominating Hubert Humphrey, an experienced statesman, an excellent orator, and a sterling human being, whose own party made sure he paid a price for serving as Johnson's vice president. The country elected Richard Nixon. Then there was the Democratic president who was challenged by a famous, dynamic, exciting figure from within the party. I am as big a fan as anyone of Gavin Newsom and Pete Buttigieg and Gretchen Whitmer and all the other marquee Democrats people are secretly wishing would jump into the ring and give non-MAGA Americans some option more exciting than old Joe. But I am aware, as a surprising number of high-profile pundits seem not to be, 
that shiny prospective candidacies are just like shiny not-yet-bought cars. Their value plummets the minute they leave the lot, or in the case of candidacies, declare. I'm old enough to remember the draft Ted Kennedy movement that swept the Democratic Party in 1980. It wasn't just horrendous economic conditions or the hostages being held in Iran that had Democrats down on Jimmy Carter. It was also Carter himself. Nobody thought he was too old to be president, but many thought he was too stiff and dull and centrist. Plus, he didn't know the first thing about how Washington worked, and he couldn't stir up a crowd to save his life. In the end, though, Carter could and did crush Kennedy in the primary fight before being crushed by Ronald Reagan. None of this is to suggest that it was only these intra-democratic wrangles that caused these eventual democratic defeats. It is very possible that had Johnson chosen to run, he would have lost, and that had Ted Kennedy chosen not to run, Carter would have lost anyway. But you simply cannot look at those two examples and come away with a great big urge to throw away the incumbency in favor of a nice invigorating roll of the contested primary dice. Meanwhile, and this is the part that really kills me, by the time their re-election battles loomed, Lyndon Johnson and Jimmy Carter were mired in crises. Joe Biden has done a great deal to carry the country and the world out of two huge crises, the disasters of Donald Trump and of COVID, and he's doing a very able, very active job of trying to combat many more, from climate change to Ukraine to this country's GOP-led about-face on reproductive rights. And even if the GOP ultimately defies expectations and declines to nominate Trump, it's not as if they're going to offer up some young, vigorous, reasonable alternative will just be catnip to swing voters. Almost all of the Republicans in the race are pledging to pardon Trump and or those convicted for crimes committed on January 6th. And when it comes to reproductive rights, their most moderate candidate, the admirably anti-insurrection Chris Christie, thinks that the choice of whether or not to end a pregnancy should be a matter between a woman, her doctor, and her state legislature. All of that said, it's not as if there is no imaginable scenario in which the age of an incumbent could be legitimate grounds for abandoning that incumbent. If, at this stage of the game, Biden were showing any signs of moving toward the disoriented, sadly deteriorated Dianne Feinstein kind of old, I'd be the first to say of him, as I do say of her, that he needs to step aside. Instead, he is turning out to be the globe-trotting workaholic, wow, that ton of experience actually comes in handy, Nancy Pelosi kind of old. So given the stakes, let's we Democrats talk a whole lot less about how old a President Biden would be at the end of his second term and start talking about how surprisingly effective a president he has been throughout his first. Ah, you'll hear, but he is in his 80s. He may be okay today, but what if something happens tomorrow? Then we could have President Kamala. And that's what's making everybody so nervous. The whole Kamala as catastrophe narrative is the stuff of a whole other episode. But for now, since this episode is just about the conventional supposed wisdom of the Democrats finding a way to dump Biden or failing that Biden finding a way to dump Harris, let's remind ourselves that there are two key constituencies, women and African-Americans, that Democrats absolutely positively must turn out in droves in order to win. And there is a third constituency. Asians and Pacific Islanders, that can make the difference up and down the ballot in some key battleground states, such as Georgia and Nevada. 
If you ask me, absent some act of criminality or fact of grave personal crisis involving Kamala Harris, it's not exactly a no-brainer for the president to boot a vice president who not only belongs to, but also embodies historic achievement on the part of all three of those groups. Don't get me wrong. I am anything but confident that Biden and Harris will win in 2024. Then again, I'm not confident about anything to do with 2024, and neither should you be. Absolutely, positively, the only thing that anybody knows 13 months ahead of any presidential election is that nobody really knows anything. A year from now, will inflation have come further down or shot back up? Will America, God forbid, have been slammed by another pandemic, a terrorist attack, or some other wildcard event that we can't imagine now but may find ourselves fixated upon then? Whom do the Republicans end up nominating, and what third-party players are in the mix? No matter what the polls say, nobody knows, nobody knows, nobody knows, and nobody knows. Now, one thing we do know is that Biden is old and getting older. Is that a plus? No, it is not. Does it automatically follow that it must metastasize into a disqualifying, deal-breaking minus? No, it does not. And it won't, unless Democrats keep inexplicably doing their level best to see that it does. And so, my fellow Democrats, let me close by paraphrasing a Democrat who won four presidential elections at a time when a guy who could not walk on his own was thought incapable of winning any. In 2024, the only thing that can defeat us is defeatism itself. Thanks for listening. Tune in to more of Jiu-Jitsu Red to Blue. New episodes drop every Thursday morning.